Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 and 10. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Thank you. You may be seated. May God add his richest blessings to the reading of his word. We spoke of various events that capture the attention or capture our attention. I know that one of the earliest memories that I have was a uh, a lunar eclipse that took place. I think I was seven or eight years old. We were living in Mississippi, and I remember my dad taking me out, and we got to we got to see this eclipse. But I also remember sitting in long lines with my dad waiting to get gas. I remember hearing about the drawdown and the little snippets from various individuals talking about Vietnam and what was taking place over there. On Tuesday of this last week in her last official appointment, Her Majesty the Queen asked Liz Truss the new Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, to form a government. Less than two days later, the greatest earthly monarch that I believe ever lived passed into the presence of the great High King of Heaven who lives forever. Within just a few short hours, over three-fourths of the world's population knew that Queen Elizabeth had passed. Within hours, the vast majority of the world had knew that a 70-year-old reign had come to its conclusion. We, we knew that it would end, but you don't think it's going to end the way that it does. All of her power, lands, titles, fame could not keep her appointment with God from taking place. The UK and the world were taken aback by the suddenness of her demise, even though she was 96 and a half. In the eight years that I was in the cemetery and funeral home industry, I used to hear the same thing all the time. They died too soon. Well, how soon is too soon when you're almost 100? But now everything has to change. There will be new banknotes. I don't know if any of you who either don't care or you're not familiar with with what goes on in England, there's a lot of work that is going to take place now that the code words, London Bridge is falling down, has taken place. That was the code word for Her Majesty's death. There will be new banknotes, stamps, changes of titles, And even lawyers must now have new business cards as they are no longer allowed to be called the Queen's Council. They are now the King's Council. Millions will be spent making changes and preparing for the earthly coronation of King Charles III. But before too long, sadly, we will see this play out again and Prince William, Prince of Wales, will become King William V. And then... He will die 
and it will be his son who will become king. What a vast difference, though, is the reign of our King Jesus. As we noted from Spurgeon last week at the end of our message, quote, he is no unauthorized savior. He is no amateur deliverer. He is an ambassador clothed with unbounded power from the great king, a redeemer with full credentials from the father. Our king died once for all, but now ever lives to make intercession for the saints. This morning, I want us to look at three aspects of this new song from Revelation chapter 5. A song that the Apostle John was privileged to be able to listen to. And my prayer is that you will understand along with me this morning the cost of the song to the Lamb. Let's look at verse 9. The song of the Lamb. We find firstly, they sing. Who is this that they are speaking of? Well, we have to go back just a couple of verses where we find the four and twenty elders who are representative of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ who are singing. They are standing around the throne. They are first sitting and then we found last week that they have fallen prostrate before the throne. And as they lay with their faces to the ground, they are looking up as it were, maybe, maybe like we might look through the fringes, we have our face down. For those of you who went to basic training, you, the drill sergeant would say, put your face in the dirt. He doesn't want you looking around. He wants you to be face down. Well, this is exactly what has taken place with these 24 elders. They are gathered around the throne and between them, between their thrones, and the elders, and the high king of heaven's throne, God the Father, we find and found last week a lamb. And this causes them to break out into song. This is what is called a transitive verb, and it only makes sense if it exerts its action on a particular object. John has to be specific that these 24 elders are not just singing, but they are singing a new song. What is this new song? Well, it would only be speculation to be able to try to discern what this new song might be. But the word here, a new song, means a new kind of unprecedented, novel, uncommon, unheard of, or given for the first time. As an example, we speak of the songs that we will sing when we get to heaven. Maybe you have a particular favorite hymn. Maybe it's Amazing Grace. Maybe it's Mansion Over the Hilltop. Maybe it's hearing the Hallelujah Chorus as written and conducted by Handel in the 1700s before King George. But all of these songs that you have, look at your hymn book. All of these songs were written from a corrupted mind. None of the songs that were written, even, even the, 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 the psalmist David, as he is writing most of the psalms that were written, 150 psalms, and, and even David struggles because David, as we know, I mean, he wasn't exactly a good guy, was he? I mean, here's a man who's an adulterer at heart. Here's a man who has done everything wrong as it were. And yet we all know the stories of Goliath, David and Goliath. We know what David did. 
Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. And it's not very long before we find that David has taken his eyes off of God and he has fallen willfully, walked into sin. And yet God says in his word, David was a man after God's own heart. But for all the songs that are written, for all the hymns that have been written, imagine the most glorious hymn on earth, but written in a place where there is no sin. A hymn written where there is no crying. A lot of the hymns that we sing, they are very emotional in their appeal. And and there are songs maybe that you know that if you were to hear it played or you were to hear it sung, that it would immediately bring tears to your eyes. But imagine a song written where there is no crying. Imagine hearing a hymn that is written where there is no more death to be afraid of, where there is no hell, and where there is Romans chapter 8, therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Imagine a hymn where the evil one can no longer thwart our worship of the Most High. I guarantee you, and we mentioned this last Sunday, that if there was anything that is going to get your attention... You could have the most wonderful week, get up on Sunday morning, and it all just go pear-shaped. It could be the kids. It could be the spouse. It could be work. It could be whatever it may be. You could come and be on the way here and get a flat tire. And instead of trusting in the providence of God that he knows all things, instead of giving him worship, no matter where we are, we fall prey to the evil one, and the evil one keeps us from worship. If you can imagine a song like this, which again is impossible to do, these 24 elders are singing and before long they are joined not just with the 24 elders, but they are joined by a multitude without number. This is one of those songs. Worthy are you, they began, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Here John speaks of a person who has merited or deserves something. When we get to heaven, there will not be one person who can boast of what they have accomplished. You will not be able to boast. I will not be able to because not one of us will get there on any merit of our own but because of Christ alone. Worthy are you. He, if you can imagine with me the, this picture in heaven, the 24 elders are gathered, they're laying prostrate around the throne and, and out of the hand of God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ reaches up and he takes the scroll from the Father. Do you remember the Great Commission? It's part of our motto here at Yellowstone Baptist Church, the Great Commission, to know that we can go out into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But how do we do that? We do that because all power and all authority has been given to Jesus Christ to make that happen. So this power and the authority that has been given by the Father to the Son to be able to take this scroll. There's nobody else in heaven. There are one-third of the angels, fully one-third of the angels, fell with Satan in the beginning. None of them are allowed. None of them have the authority. None of them have the power to be able to take this scroll from 
God the Father. There's no human being, not one of the 24 elders, not even the four, the strange four living creatures that are there. They don't have the ability to. Michael the archangel or Gabriel, none of them have the ability to take this scroll, only Jesus Christ. We find in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery. And why did all of this take place? So that he might be given a name which is above every name. Not only has he taken the scroll, but he has opened the seals. This is not like the opening of a door where maybe you just don't give it any thought and you simply walk up or you push open the door. This is actually speaking about the scrolls here. And in these, or in these scrolls or with this scroll, as we talked about in the beginning, that there are these seals that line them. There are seven seals that are sealing this scroll from being opened. This is a deliberate breaking open of something that has been long sealed. When we stand before God in heaven, the judgments that are going to come are not going to come because God decided he was finally tired of it. These judgments are long ago put in place. God knows that these judgments are coming. I believe the evil one knows that his time is coming. And yet now we come to the point where these are getting ready to be opened. And for those who are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is going to be miserable for Christ to take this scroll and to be told in this song you have the ability not just to take the scroll you have taken the scroll but to be able to open the seals this means that Christ is beginning or is preparing to begin the judgments the judgments that are found in the scroll and woe to the inhabitants of the earth May I remind you that down through history, beginning with Adam and Eve, when God promised them, in the day that you eat, you will what? Surely die. Did judgment come for Adam and Eve? Sure did. Approximately 1,600 years later, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And this is not just a localized flood. It was a worldwide flood and God destroyed the earth because he looked down and he saw the wickedness of the heart of man. And he says, my heart, we will no longer strive with man. His days will be 120 years. And for 120 years, Noah is building the ark. And as he prepares and in the finishing of the ark, he preaches about sin, righteousness, and the coming judgment. Did judgment come? Yes, it did. We read later in the book of Genesis, we find that God came and sent two of his angels down to Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy that city, and it had nothing to do with hospitality. It was because of what you think it is, and that is because they were living in abomination. We have that today. I believe if, we, if God were to allow America to continue without judgment because of what we have done to marriage from our government, because of what is taking place within the LGBTQ agenda, God would have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah one day and God apologizes for nothing. 
My dear friends, if you're a believer this morning, take heart. Don't don't lose heart and live in, in the reality of the discouragement and the despondency. Remind yourself over and over when you see another news article and something has gone bad and, and, and the government has decided that they're going to take away this or they're going to add this law or they're going to try to change the laws of God, still look up to God. Trust Him. Know that he is still in control. He has not relinquished his throne to anybody. The application from this first point in your notes this morning is this. Are you in the number of the redeemed who will sing the praises of God? Sometimes we don't sing well. Sometimes maybe we don't want to sing or lift up our voices because we're afraid of other people around us or maybe because we don't think we've got a good voice. You know, the Bible says that all believers will sing one day. We will sing perfectly. Psalm 107 verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And here's the question. Have you been redeemed this morning? My friends, if you have been redeemed this morning, we should come with a longing to sing, to pray, and to exalt the Savior because He alone is worthy of our praise. We find secondly, the sacrifice of the Lamb also in verse 9. You were slain. John repeats the necessity of the substitutionary atonement as the reason for the song and the worthiness of Christ. In other words, the song is given because of the great exchange that is seen in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to become sin on your behalf so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That great exchange, the substitutionary atonement, simply means this, that somebody had to die in your place. Only Jesus Christ could have done that. And from before the foundations of the world, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that he became the living sacrifice. What a wonder knowing that that I don't have to compete with Brother Mike or with Brother Kurt or with Brother Sam or with Brother Mickey or with anybody else in regards to the merit that I can try to work up with God. God comes and at the foot of the cross we are all equal. We all come to the foot of the cross in the same way. Whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. And when we come, we find mercy. Mercy in abundance. Not only was the lamb slain, but it says that he ransomed people. This is a glorious term and and it paints a true picture of where you and I have come from. The reason for our separation from the holiness of God is because we were slaves to sin. You see, you and I, before we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have no choice. We sin because that's what's in our very nature. The evil one is our master, but God in his great mercy buys us from the slave market of sin and it was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1. This word that is used was a reference to slaves in the Roman Empire who were purchased and then given a document of manumission. Can you imagine going to a slave market? 
And as you go up to the slave market, you find somebody that, that you like, or you simply want to be able to redeem them. You would buy this person, you would give the money to the slave master, and then you would turn around to this possession that belongs to you, and you would give them a little document. It would have been a, a little piece of parchment that they would fold up, and they would carry in a little bag around their neck. They might be given a little emblem as well to be able to wear so that anybody that stops them, they would be able to pull this out and say, I am free. It shows that they are no longer a slave. But as Paul writes, out of gratitude to the Savior, we willingly, joyfully submit to a new master and we become his bond slaves. We are like the Old Testament example where a person who was a slave to a master and he decided that he didn't or that he wanted to stay with the master. The master would, would take him to the elders of the city and they would go up to the gate of the city and he would take an awl and he would take that awl and he would put it up to the man's ear and he would drive that awl through the ear. And the man would remain there on the gate or the woman would remain on the gate for the remainder of the day. And then as night began to fall, the master, the new master would take the servant and he would take the all out of his ear and he would begin to clean that ear and he would put a little emblem or a ring in the ear to say, this man, this woman belongs to me. My friends, when the Lord Jesus Christ sets his love upon us, he fills us with his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the emblem or it is the seal of our redemption knowing that he is coming back for us. We should gladly wear the emblems of true biblical Christianity. When people ask us, are you a believer? Don't, don't be like the Apostle Peter. I never knew the man. I didn't know him. Who was he? No, we should be willing to stand and say, yes, I know him. And I know him because I know me. And I know what I came from and I know what I've been redeemed from. And the only person that could redeem me was Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about him. How did he redeem us? They continue in the song, by your blood. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Listen to me, if you miss everything else in the sermon this morning, hear this. In the Old Testament, when the high priest would go before the Lord in the mercy seat, he would take a great big bowl of blood the lambs would be sacrificed. He would go behind or into the Holy of Holies. Only he was permitted to do that. If you can imagine, the first few times that you go in there, it wouldn't have been bad. It, had any of you been around blood that has congealed or after a while the, 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 the flesh and everything that goes along with it, you know that smell that comes from that? Now imagine not just one day, two days, a month, a year, year after year, for hundreds of years, the high priests, everyone falling in succession, they are going once a year, they are taking this great big bowl of blood and they are going in because God demands blood as the sacrifice and they're throwing this blood, they are sprinkling on, on the altar. Do you know what that altar would have looked like? 
it would have been black. It would have smelled, you could probably have smelled the tabernacle from miles away if the wind was in the right direction. This is what Peter is talking about. He says, for obedience to Jesus Christ in the sprinkling with his blood, it's not just a little drop or two. It took all of his blood to be able to make the sacrifice. By your blood for God. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. In him, speaking of God, in him we have redemption through what? His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I love the personal pronouns that are used in Ephesians. It is about him, his blood, his grace, his mercy, his providence. The only thing that gets to that we look at in Ephesians when we get to chapter 2 and you who were dead in trespasses and sins, you he has made alive. There is no religion in the world, none. And this isn't about being a Baptist or Presbyterian or, 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 or charismatic or anything. This is about knowing Jesus Christ. And when he comes and he sets his love upon us and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the only true faith in the world that can take a person who is black as sin, sprinkle them with the blood of Jesus Christ and make you whiter than snow. For God, where do these people come from? Where and who are these 24 elders speaking about? The phrasing here gives indications that these are Jews, these are Gentiles, these are heathen, these are civilized people. They are people from all walks of life, various languages and cultures who will be in the number of the redeemed. The same phrasing is found in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, 11 verse 9, 13, verse 7, and 14, verse 6. This is what John is saying. Every tribe, a tribe is a group or of, of people who are related, and in the New Testament, it actually refers to a person who is descended from one of the 12 sons of Jacob. We talk about the hardness of heart that is found amongst the Jews today, and yet God says there will be some in heaven who are from that number. This is one of the reasons why I believe we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Not just from every tribe, but from every tongue. This, this is a language or a dialect that is used by a particular people distinct from that of other nations. For example, we prayed for the Faroe Islands this morning. We could say that this is a language from a distinct group of people. It is unique to the Faroe Islands. There's nobody else in the world that speaks their language, Faroese. from every tribe, from every tongue, in other words, from every far-flung region of the world, there will be people who are in that number. Every tribe, tongue, and people. This is a people who are of the same language group. So it could be English, or it could be Chinese, or Russian, or Arabic. And finally, he mentions nation. This specifically means a foreign or non-Jewish nation, one usually by implication that is pagan. The Jews, of course, considered all Gentiles to be pagans, to be heathen. 
Here's our application this morning. If you are not a believer this morning, then you are not a child of God. And he is not your father. You remain in the slave market of the evil one and there is nothing in and of yourself that can change that. But if you're a believer, then 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 applies to you. As Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says, you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Christ has redeemed you. He has bought you back, not to leave you in your sin, to redeem you, to save you out of that, to set your feet on the solid rock, to put your path in such a way that you are facing towards the Lord Jesus Christ. You are no longer facing the world. And in that, Romans chapter 8 says that he has predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, God is going to make sure that you look like Jesus. Finally, in verse 10, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. They shall reign on the earth. We find another verb here, you made them. The word means to make, to produce, to construct, or to fashion. And if you break down the verb and what it means in each of its tenses, you find that the subject of all of this action is Jesus. In other words, Jesus is the one that is doing it. It is a statement of fact that truly occurs, has occurred, or will assuredly occur at some point in the future. However, the tense of the verb means that this action was started in the past and finished. We talked about this in our Sunday school class this morning. We talked about forgiveness. I want everybody to look at the cross behind me. If you find yourself in the category that the Bible says Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners... All of your sins, the sins you committed yesterday, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever those sins are, the sins you'll commit today, the sins you'll commit tomorrow, the Bible says if you are forgiven, you are forgiven of all of them. Not just one or two, all of them. What Jesus Christ started in the past, he finished which is why he could hang on the cross and he could say, it is finished. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Romans chapter 1 is very clear that there will be no excuse for those who are lost. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. If you have never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ before today, even if you did not come today, which is not by accident, the Bible says that you will have no excuse. There are a lot of people who think they're going to stand before God and say, well, I'm going to argue with God. I'm going to tell him why I think he's wrong. No, you're not. You're going to fall on your face just like everybody else. And you will stand before God and he will either be your Lord and Savior or he will be your Lord and Judge, but he will still be your Lord.
Not only is there no excuse for the loss, but for his children, Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Brother Diego shared wonderfully last Sunday evening and talking about how we have a responsibility to be able to care for others. We have a responsibility to get out of our comfort zone, if you will, to be able to live in, and work in such a way that we are prepared to show the good works that Christ has called us to do. What does he say? Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You and I should delight in walking in the ways of Jesus. We should delight in telling others the truth. So what did he make them? Very quickly, he made them a kingdom. While only British are subject to the reign of King Charles III, all true believers are called together to serve and worship under the sovereign rule of the Almighty King. Those in the realm will be called to change their allegiance from the queen to the king. And if you've been watching any of the news, some of the things that have been opened up to for the first time to television cameras and watching, for example, the accession council. And every person who is in parliament will come and they will sign their names. And even Prince William, his own son, had to sign swearing allegiance to his father, King Charles III. When the Lord Jesus Christ saves us, he calls us to be in allegiance to him. The way that he chooses to operate, not the way that we want. True believers must be willing to follow the words of Romans 8.29, which we have mentioned already in the message, to be predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God is going to change you if you are a true believer. He's made them secondly priests to God. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 and 9. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The song that we just sang, Love Lifted Me. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. And he came and set his love upon me. Not so that I could live in my little cave, but so that I might proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ who called me, who called you. And finally, not only did he call us to be a kingdom, but priests to our God. Why? So that we will reign on the earth with him. And here we have the promise of what is to come, despite who you may have been. If the Holy Spirit dwells within you this morning, then you have been redeemed. You have been bought out of that slave market. You're no longer a master to that. And here's the encouragement. The promise from God's word is that one day he will return just as he said he would return. He will return visibly. He will return physically. Every eye will see him. He will establish his earthly kingdom and we will reign with him on the earth. I don't know what all of that looks like. 
I just know what the Bible tells me is going to happen. I don't know when it's going to take place, but neither do you. This is why it is imperative that we must be watching and waiting and working for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's our final application this morning. As a child of the Most High God, the privileges that are ours are found in heavenly places. If you look in the mirror this morning or this last week or the previous month, several of you have health ailments. We're not guaranteed healing in this life. We suffer because of sin. We have to say goodbye because of sin. But there is coming a day when even death will no longer harm us. We only have to worry about the first death. And really, if we're following the truth of Scripture, Psalm 23, we don't even have to worry about that if we're a true believer because we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. The glorious reality is that He has chosen us from before the foundations of the world for His own glory. No other reason. Now, like Israel of the Old Testament, we are a peculiar people. We're a spiritual kingdom. We're a royal priesthood. A holy priesthood. A holy nation. And one day he will come to take us back to be with himself. He hasn't left us here to our own devices. He's left the Holy Spirit to walk with us day by day. And in conclusion this morning, I want to ask you this. Will you be in the number of those who gather around the throne. Will you be one of those who will be from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation? The question is often asked, if you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would your answer be? And if your answer starts or includes you in any way, you won't make it. It starts and ends with Jesus Christ. Will you be there to sing a new song to the Lamb? Today is the day of salvation. If you do not know Him, and for those who do have a personal relationship with Him, live your life as though you are waiting, lovingly waiting for His return. Because that's what He calls us to do. Let's stand together.